Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, March 29th. We begin with a recap of the latest episode of The West Block. This week, we speak with Eric Sorensen, guest host and senior national correspondent with Global News. Eric brings us details of his conversation with former U.S. Ambassador to NATO, Kurt Volker, and a breakdown of last week's new agreement between the Federal Liberal Party and the NDP. Are you aware of the connection between hearing loss and dementia? We speak with an audiologist and researcher who explains the connection and offers up some tips to help prevent hearing loss into our golden years. Then it's our regular catch-up with the travel lady, Leslie Cater. Leslie gives us an update on the current travel restrictions and changes coming our way as of April 1st. And finally, what shapes Calgary and our community? Our own Dave McIver brings us another installment in our Where We Live series. This time out, Dave pays a visit to historic Chinatown. How can the UN hold Russia to account for its invasion of Ukraine? And how will the agreement between the NDP and Liberals work? Lots of ground to cover this week. Details on the latest episode of The West Block. We are joined by guest host Eric Sorensen, Senior National Affairs Correspondent with Global News. Good morning to you, Eric. Good morning. You had the opportunity, Eric, to speak with former U.S. Ambassador to NATO and former U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine, Kurt Volker. How uh, the, the the views of NATO's response uh, to Russia's war in Ukraine uh, you know, fit in there? What, what did you hear? Well, he thinks that NATO can do more. I mean, you, you, you can appreciate the frustration there is by just about everybody in the world watching what's happening in Ukraine. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we, we hear from Volodymyr Zelensky saying, just give us 1% of your tanks, just give us some of your jets. And he thinks that there is more that can be done in that way that will not trigger, say, a wider war. But that is the concern. So he thinks that they could send some MiGs from Poland uh, he thinks that there should be more to be done to uh, to establish humanitarian corridors um, and that it will not trigger a, a wider war or trigger nuclear uh, exchange. Um, but that is the concern. That is why, you know, NATO is not doing uh, going any further than it is right now, because uh, that is the fear of, of whatever's happening in Ukraine could actually happen beyond its borders, and that would be even worse. Mm-hmm. Erica, sort of on that note, you know, you also chatted on the show with Canada's ambassador to the UN, Bob Ray, uh, talking about holding Russia accountable. Is, does there seem to be concern at all uh, as to what action Canada takes and, and perhaps some payback from Russia later on down the road? I think at this point, the, the concern about Russia's payback is uh, is relatively small for this country. Um the uh, you know what what Russia has bigger fish to fry at this point, and and Canada is part of such a, a global sort of pressure point on Russia that uh, that I don't think the worry is so much about what Canada would have to pay if it comes to that. For example, you know one of the biggest uh, you know ways of addressing this is for uh, countries in the in Western Europe not to take on any more oil or gas from Russia mm-hmm. if they can wean themselves off it. Canada actually imports a little wee bit, I guess, from time to time, but uh, but it's not enough to make a difference. So I don't think that's the concern. The, 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 I suppose you're right. The one, you know, if you look further in advance, you're going to look at the, at the Arctic and with global warming and the, um, the polar seas opening up more. What will it mean if Russia decides it needs to, it wants to, you know, venture further in the north? The, the United States, uh, you can find, uh, reports on uh, on that 
is concerned about that and will probably have to think in terms of having a greater presence in the Arctic. And Canada will have to concern itself with that as well, just, you know, how much of that we want to be uh, a part of. So there is the Arctic uh, way down the road. But right now, Russia has bitten off so much when it's dealing with Ukraine. Even the concern about what could happen with NATO countries that are bordering Russia seems small right now, relatively speaking. You know, was, would Russia really want to try and test out NATO, given the difficulty it's having in Ukraine right now? Not likely. Eric, uh, federally, uh, news last week, the, the big headline, NDP and Liberals reaching an agreement to keep the Liberal government in power until 2025, we know. And it was underscored that this is not a coalition government. It is an agreement. So I'm wondering, what details did Jagmeet Singh share with you as far as how this will look and how things will, will work moving ahead till 2025? Well, we've, uh, you know, we've heard of the, the, uh, the policies they've talked about. There's a couple of the big ones that are in the, in the window are on pharmacare and dental care. And, you know, the concern for some is, that, oh, the Liberals are moving to the left. And the question we we're putting to him is, just, is the NDP moving to the right? For example, will Jagmeet Singh and his party support an increase in defense spending? Um, and he says yes. Um, but he stopped short of endorsing the NATO spending target of 2% of GDP. Um, just looking up to see a quote here where he said... Uh, We've seen a drop in personnel in our military, and we asked them to do a lot, and uh, even during the pandemic. And so we need, uh, we know what they need for support, and we're okay with that, is how he put it. Mm. But he thinks uh, that while that's the right thing to do, he does not support the 2% uh, threshold that is uh, the target for NATO. So I expect we'll see there will be more spending uh, in, the, in the upcoming budget, but it will probably stop short of, um, of that 2%, because right now, if there's one thing I think that the Liberals and the NDP want to be sure to uh, to uh, put forward, it is agreement so that this this three-year deal looks like it's getting off on the right foot. And Eric, it, it truly is an unprecedented agreement. Is there concern at all when you spoke with Jagmeet Singh this past weekend that, you know, the, the NDP maybe loses its identity or takes a real hit for kind of joining forces with the Liberals? Yeah, there, there is that. Like he had said right on, on, on his, you know, sometimes uh, it's the off-the-cuff remark, and he had talked about that, uh, that they could pay, pay a price electorally um, in the next election. Now, he didn't want to deal with that. He, you know, when, when I asked him about that uh, on the weekend, he said, yeah, there may be risks, but he just immediately wanted to pivot and talk about the incredible opportunities there would be for Canadians and that, that maybe... You know, when we get to the next election, they'll, act, they'll actually vote for more New Democrats uh, and not fewer. That remains to be seen. You know, we don't have a, a lot of examples of this in Canadian history, but we do have some. And um, the NDP in Ontario, for example, uh, propped up the Liberals back in the 1980s. And while the NDP eventually did form a government, in the immediate election afterwards, uh, it was the Liberals that went, to, went from uh, having a minority situation to a majority and we saw in British Columbia um, in the last few years where the NDP needed the small Green Party, they, they, called, they cut it short, that, that deal that was supposed to last so many years. And they went to an election and the NDP came back with a majority government. So it doesn't always help the junior partner when they get involved in these things. He seems content with the possibility that they will get the kinds of programs they want uh, and then... Uh, roll the dice on, on on the election when it comes. We'll see if this, we've got some time ahead of us, but time will tell. We'll see if it works out for the NDP, this agreement. And in the meantime, 
Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning, Eric. We appreciate it. Good to be with you. That is Eric Sorensen, Senior National Affairs Correspondent for Global News and uh, guest host this week of the West Block. 71% of Canadians say dementia is their number one fear about aging. But a majority of people are unaware of the connection between hearing loss and dementia. With details, we are joined by Jillian Price, Hearing Life's Chief Audiologist. Good morning to you, Jillian. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I was surprised to to read that headline and i'm not sure if a lot of other people are so can can you break down the connection between hearing loss and dementia yes so um you know a lot of research has been done in this area and what we are learning is um you know hearing really uh, hearing loss impacts so many other areas of our life other than just the inability to hear a sound and what we have learned is there is this connection between hearing loss and a higher risk of cognitive decline and dementia. And uh, what that has led to is the discovery that, you know, treating your hearing loss can be a, a very big modifiable risk factor. And actually, hearing loss is the most modifiable risk factor um, in dementia. So what that means for people who are, you know, this is a concern for them is that if you have hearing loss, you want to treat that hearing loss as early as possible so that you are lowering the, the risk and you're helping your brain essentially you know, organize that sound and you're not overloading the brain with all these extra cognitive tasks that come when you are struggling to hear sounds. So it's really important, and it's also just important to be proactive. You know, Don't wait for something to, to happen. Love your ears and be proactive and take care of them. And the number one way you do that is you get your hearing checked. So that's what uh, we're hoping to, the message we're hoping to, to, uh, to say today is everybody get your ears checked and, uh, and that's gonna help improve your overall quality of life. Jillian, uh, you know, is it like going to the doctor yearly? How often do you're supposed to get your, your hearing checked and at what age and, and how many of us are living with untreated or undiagnosed hearing loss, do you know? Yeah, those are all great questions. So uh, the numbers are pretty, uh, uh, pretty shocking, I think, to some people who don't sort of live in this world of, of audiology like I do. It's nearly half of Canadians over age 60 that are living with some form of, of hearing loss. So that's like almost one in two. That's wow. a lot of Canadians. So you're not alone if you are um, maybe suspecting you have some hearing loss or you're currently living with hearing loss or live with somebody who is struggling to hear. Um, you know, you, you're certainly not alone. And so because those numbers are, are pretty dramatic, what we recommend is that if you are age 60 or over, you absolutely need to add getting your hearing checked to your sort of your, your wellness checklist of the things that you need to get checked. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to come in every year, but you need to come in and get what we call that baseline test where we figure out what's going on, and then we will recommend a schedule for you, whether that be yearly or every couple of years. But if you are age 60 and over and you have not had your hearing checked lately, now is the time. And, you know, at Hearing Life, we make it really easy. It's going to take less, well, usually about an hour, no more than an hour of your, of your day, completely painless. And absolutely free. Wow, very interesting. We appreciate the update and a timely reminder and um, interesting stats. Thank you so much, Jillian. Yes, thank you. That is Jillian Price, Hearing Life's Chief Audiologist. You can find out more about what Hearing Life is all about at hearinglife.com.
Oh boy, I think we all pretty much need a vacation right about this time. And if you're planning a trip outside of Canada, you'll need to know about the updated Canadian travel restriction changes as of April 1st. With insight, as always, we are joined by the lady who knows, the travel lady herself, <laughs> Leslie Cater. Hi, Les. Hi, too. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, this is important because things are changing and for the good, for those who want to get out of the country, do a little traveling. What do mm-hmm. we need to know? Well, finally, after all the lobbying that uh, we did to have this pre-arrival test removed, as of 1st April, it's gone. So that means when you travel outside of Canada, when you're ready to return, you don't have to rush around in some foreign country and find somewhere where you can have that test. And oh my goodness, if it should turn out to be positive, then you're stuck there for at least 12 days. It's, uh, it was one of the major deterrents, in my opinion. So, so what are you seeing now? People know that we're going to be, uh, you know, changing things up. Are you seeing a mass rush for people to book trips? Oh my goodness, Andy! We <laughs> we've been saying in the office we are just full steam ahead. We're, everybody is so busy. Um, I've even noticed a couple of people having lunch at their desk, which I've always said that's forbidden. But <laughs> just it's time. We need the time and. Um, naturally, what's happening as well, because the tour operators and the cruise lines are taking time to get staff back mm. after all the layoffs, there are long haul times, which takes up a big chunk out of our day. Leslie, we talked about this last time we chatted, and, and that's about you know starting to see flight and price increases. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything right now we might be looking at that you're still seeing you know really reasonable pricing, or is it kind of going up, up across the board? Here and there, depending on the destination and also depending upon the amount of competition there is out there. So getting around within Europe, it's very attractive. They have a lot of competition there and you can get some low airfares. For us, getting across the Atlantic onto the other side, there's not as much availability. And unfortunately, not as much or not as many as I should say of the direct flights out of Calgary or out of Edmonton into those main spots like Amsterdam, London. They seem to have cut down on the schedule a bit while they bring themselves up to full running ability. Just before we let you go, Leslie, your business trips look vastly different than the rest (laughs) of ours. Uh, Tell tell us what you're going to be embarking on uh, coming up later this week. (laughs) Yes. On Saturday, I'm flying out to Budapest. It's an industry event. I'm going to be cruising on the Danube down to Bratislava and it was touch and go all the time is this trip going to go ahead or not and it is going ahead and what we're doing is we're taking some supplies across as much as we can to give to the Hungarian church in Budapest and contribute something and some cash to the Red Cross or how it feels good to do just something small because uh, I think a lot of people are worried about going into Eastern Europe And we've had some people saying, I'm going to cancel. And I said, well, you're going to Portugal. That's a long way. Mm -hmm. So it's certainly the news has been devastating coming out of Ukraine. Well, glad you're doing a little bit to help out. And if you ever need someone just to carry your luggage on and off that (laughs) cruise ship, you let me know. I am there for you. You'll be my number one. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for the update. Appreciate it. Have a, a safe trip. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Leslie Cater is the travel lady. You can go online, thetravellady.ca or at the travel lady.
Chinatown is one of the oldest communities in Calgary, and today our Dave McIver discovers more about its history and its importance to the city in this latest installment of Where We Live. Located in the heart of Calgary on Center Street along the Bow River is the hub of Asian culture, language, education, community, and commerce, Chinatown. Chinatown we have today is actually the third Chinatown, uh, the first being located, as a matter of fact, where City Hall sits today. The second uh, was over by the Palliser Hotel, and in the 1910, they finally relocated to the Chinatown, which is 2nd Avenue and Center Street. Now, uh, since 1910 to here we are today, 112 years, the uh, you know, the Chinatown has grown tremendously, both in terms of uh, you know the uh, you know, the culture, the uh, the uh, businesses. But uh, what a lot of people don't seem to remember is that Chinatown was actually started as a residential community, and there's still a significant residential community, uh, particularly our um, Chinese and seniors. That's Ward 7 Councillor Terry Wong. He talked about the importance of Chinatown to the diversity of Calgary. I think this, there's probably three answers to that. The first one, as I mentioned before, it was a, a, a cultural a cultural community for people who came to Canada without you know, English as their first language, a place where people didn't understand or know uh, the way in which, uh, whether it be from a federal, provincial, or municipal level, how to, how to navigate the various levels of government for the types of services they needed. And, and uh, so again, it was, it was a place where language was a commonplace uh, to get things done. The second uh, reason why Chinatowns are important because, again, it adds to that, as you refer to, the diversity of who we are, the multicultural, the the, uh, the, the language, you know, the, uh, the uh, cuisines, the foods that we have. So it, it, it uh, adds different dimensions of what Calgary is. Thirdly, it's, uh, it's a destination. Uh, you can travel around a lot of cities around North, uh, North America and around the world. Uh, and I bet you you'll find a Chinese, a Chinese restaurant, if not a Chinatown there itself. And so what city, uh, Calgary being the fifth largest in, in, this, in Canada, what city doesn't have a Chinatown? We need one. It's also events like the Chinatown Street Festival that can make for an entertaining and a different look at cultures for Calgarians. The thing that the, you know, people uh, have grown to appreciate about you know, uh, the Chinese community, Chinese culture, is you know, the, the diversity of, of whether it be the arts and culture, whether it be the, uh, the uh, recreation, the sports. Uh, uh, people often come down to see uh, the lion and dragon dance, but not realizing the background to that was martial arts and, and dance, right? So we don't come, come down to see the, the diversity of what uh, the Chinese culture has to offer. Uh, but again, it's, it's also about food. Uh, you know, whether it be the restaurants, bubble, you know, the restaurants and the dim sums or uh, uh, the, the fast bubble tea, bubble waffle type of stuff. So enjoying, enjoying the food is it. But creating a festival is an opportunity for, you know, again, um, the city to come down and say, hey, all at one place, all at one weekend, let's, let's have it happen. For 770 CHQR, I'm Dave McIver. Where We Live is brought to you by Furnace Family. Done right, day or night, FurnaceFamily.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.